Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Effect. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And we, as always, have got an action-packed uh, episode today. But the most exciting thing is that we are recording this on Friday evening at the start of our annual gaming retreat in the deepest, darkest depths of Norfolk, if I can remember where Don't we are. Don't tell them where they are, where we are. They'll all want to come. Uh, well, that's, that's fair enough. Suckers. Uh, <laughs> Andy. But as obviously Andy. you, you know, recognise that, unfortunately, Matthew and I are not on our own. <laughs> uh, we have two. Well, we were thinking they were guests, but actually, you know, kind of interlopers. Well, one of them certainly is. So we've got um, our good friend Andy, um, who's, who's the interloper. Welcome. It's Thank a, you. It's a delight, Thank delight you. to have you here. And, and other here. other guest is is my brother, um, older brother Tony, uh, who uh, yeah, he funny he looked older than me. But, um, <laughs> oh, that's almost that's almost a compliment, Dave, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I must, that wine at dinner must have gone to my head. Mm-hmm. So yes, what have we got going on today? So we have got um, World of Gaming. Um, I'm not quite sure what we. I, I, we've got a few about. things to talk about in the World of Gaming, but possibly. Possibly, we've had a bit to drink, boys and girls. Not that and much. We may it's have not quite early, Matthew. Some of the things that we were going to so, talk about. So we've it's got, yeah, just one drink. That's fine. But you know, for some of us, yeah, one so, drink is enough. Yeah, so anyway, Andy. Anyway, so we. This isn't about exposing Matthew's horrible secrets from his dimmer distant past. Um, we. Oh. Not this time. Anyway, we. Uh, so yeah, world of gaming. We've then got an excellent interview with... No, no, we've, then we thank our patrons, one of whom is a nice segue into the excellent That's interview. a very good... Yeah, 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 that's true. But we'll <laughs> give away who the patron is if we say who we're interviewing. So anyway, we, we have a lovely pa- new pa- We've got some new patrons, um, one of whom we've interviewed recently about um, some translation work he's been doing into English from uh, early editions of Coriolis. So um, that'll be coming up shortly. Matthew has done a little essay about um, battles, uh, battles at scale in Forbidden Lands, which is shamelessly cribbed from Legend of the Five Rings 4th edition. Um, But we'll listen to that and have a chat about that a bit later on. And I think I'm going to talk a bit about Tales of the Old West we were yeah. talking about. Um, Are you playing in Dave's Tales of the Old West yes, game? Yes, I am. So Indeed, maybe yeah. you'll both talk about Tales maybe. of the Old West. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From a GM's and a player's perspective. Indeed. Because although I've written yes. the thing, and we have, we did an early playtest, the three of us, didn't we? And we did, an, well, I did yeah. quite a lot of early playtesting with Tony and others yeah. on the first edition. But um, I haven't actually had much experience of playing or GMing, so I'll be very interested to hear what you both think. Shall we get on with the world of gaming, though? Yes. So the first thing to talk about in the world of gaming is that the virtual tabletop scene has arrived, and it has officially arrived with two official adaptations of the Alien rule set to the virtual tabletop world. So Roll20. Roll and Foundry, isn't it? <clears throat> no, Fantasy Grounds. So you can, you can actually buy Alien within those virtual tabletops. Now, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of virtual tabletops, me neither. No, um, I kind of feel. I don't they... think I've ever used Foundry or Roll Twenty. You Maybe have I've... used Roll Twenty because many. Aliens yeah, was that the one we used I when we ran Firefly on Roll Twenty? When we were using Hangouts. Yeah, Google okay. Hangouts and Roll Twenty. Right, that was. right, okay. Um, um, but but no, to me, it kind of just gets in the way. 
And what I'm really interested in is uh, a new virtual tabletop that uh, I've backed on Kickstarter called Roll, which feels to me a lot like um, Zoom, but with some dice rolling apps and things like that in it as well. So that looks like it might be my favorite. Mm. But I've tried to run some experiments, and so far, not everybody can get their sound to work. So that uh, doesn't really work. Is it in alpha then? That it's one? in, yeah, it's in a very early um, pre release beta stage. But I'm hoping that might come up with some stuff, and I hope then we we, we know we can lobby Free League to mm. put some of the um, well, things I, on there. Well, I think the um, the 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 rollout of Roll Twenty, as it were, for Alien, um, but um, there seems to have been a few errors have cropped up that the community have have spotted. For example, in the Chariot of the Gods setup, you've got the characters from Destroyer of Worlds. So Ooh. I think there's a few little teething problems. Um, that need to be snagged out of that uh, of that program, um, but you know I think lots of people use Roll Twenty. As I said, I'm quite happy with Zoom. Then again, the characters from Destroyer of Worlds would really ace Chariot of the Gods, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, they're so heavily armed, so skilled. They just walk through that, no problem at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, what does Roll Twenty provide then, other than like a virtual dice? Does it kind of show your characters? Does it show you the maps and stuff? Is that all within the, just the same application? Yeah, so I think you know all the assets, as it were, maps and stuff like that would um, would appear. Would be kind of loaded into it, wouldn't it? Loaded yeah. into it, and when you when you buy it on there, you get them all in a format that works on Roll Twenty. But for me, and I think this is one of the big challenges about virtual tabletops, is we traditionally are very theatre of the mind. Yeah, you know, we've yes. never really Warhammer accepted. Put little oh, figures on the board oh, yeah, and, no. and, and move them about. And, talk <coughs> and that tactics. was a long time ago. Did we do that with Rollmaster as well? I think we. we I don't think I did it with Rollmaster. I think first did, yes, to be, did, yes, yes. But this is 30 years ago. We're talking yeah, now. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> me too. We're all in our 50s there, Andy. So you're not the only one who's an old fart. Yes, this is Andy's birthday, though, so Andy is yes. a particularly tomorrow, old fart. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. He will be the oldest fart of all of us. Oh, no. Will you? No, I think no, no, I will still be the oldest fart. How can I be the oldest fart when I'm just 25 tomorrow? That's why I want 25 again. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so getting back to the point, no, we we did used to play with figures. Definitely Warhammer. Really? Did we play yeah, with figures? Yes, I, 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 I remember did, having a, a yeah. figure for... What was my guy? Saracen, I think his name was. Yes, we did in your role master. Yeah. What did I have for the enemy? Because I don't remember having any figures that I sort of moved around for. Yeah, I think this is when Tone was at university, wasn't it? I think so. I don't. Yeah. You didn't yeah. yeah. play one. Well. No, I don't yes. remember ever remember playing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, we had figures in role master, but we. That's Still, about the last time we used. Figures. That was thirty-three years ago, or something. Yeah. Or more even. Yeah. So um, you know, we we don't do that sort of really tactical. No. No. Uh, are, are we in line of sight type play or whatever? Can I can I can I move six or seven? And oh no, I'm I'm half a millimeter away from the enemy, so I can't do X, Y, and Z. And to be honest, of course, the free league games aren't that sort of system. Mm. You know, they talk about ranges in in terms of they zones. have zones, don't they? So the the zones sort of abstract that a little bit. Um, but a lot of people use figures or, yes. or, or tokens on Roll20 oh, and yeah, that for movement. Yeah. Make it more tactical. Yeah. And I must admit in that... D&D and Pathfinder, a lot of people say they use mm. counters. Yeah. And so on maps and stuff like that. And I think myself, well, you might as well just buy the figures, really. They don't have to be painted. I just see that's a bit pointless, really. 
if you're going to just use mm. the well if you're doing it remotely a, yeah which uh, we we have to we have to shame andy here because he is not a fan of remote gaming at all no, uh which is which is so why strong. he's not part of the immersive <laughs> icon thing yeah. but now you know that's your thing you know yeah we, we really enjoy it when we know we're going to enjoy this weekend because we're around the table face to face for the first time in a couple of months um but yeah, even when we're around the table, we don't move figures on the board. Alien, of course, of all the free league games, is one where we have both of us as GMs use maps <clears> to throat> kind throat> of do things like um, motion sensor pings and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, so, definitely, you know, I think having a, having a map for me is really important because that helps the theatre of the mind. It, it gives the players... Yeah, it helps you visualise the setting and where, yeah. where you are and where you've got to get to. Well, I think it's a really interesting thing. So having done um, Alenia Bay for... Essence Spiel a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, where I put quite a lot of time and effort into what were PowerPoint maps in the end, you know, and they were okay, but you know, um, I got to thinking about the games of L5R that Tony, you run, and your maps are probably drawn in about three seconds whilst you're driving to the game. It's are you commenting on Tony's cartography? Yes, well, but the point I'm making is it doesn't damage my theatre of the mind experience at all because you see it and then you use the theatre of the mind. You yeah. paint in all the gaps. So I do wonder whether kind of the effort I've put into making mm. some of these maps is a bit wasted when it doesn't need, for theatre of the mind, the map doesn't need to be that complicated. I, I think, know. well, I don't know, for the Alien, the, the sort of as we've done for Alien, the, the setting is generally a fairly fixed place and it's a, a building that you have to kind of work your way through where you can get ambushed mm. every time. So in something like that, probably you do need a map to follow that with a bit more layout. Detail. I think you yeah. can't be too vague and have that work in that kind of situation. And a lot of the stuff, the stuff um, from L5R they're talking about, it's a lot of it is outside and it's kind of fairly big open areas. So it's it's really using a general feel of what it's like rather than a specific yeah. layout of a of, a, of an area. So I think for the alien ones, it probably does need that specific map. More detail. I think. Yeah, okay. No, well, maps help the GM anyway, because when you're running, say, a group of players and you're having to run in the building, to do it in your head, yeah, it makes course. it hard for the GM. You need to say the place, say, blah, 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 and at least even if it's just across on the map. It's yeah, a rough idea of where they are, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so it's... I always remember what Robin D. Laws said in Feng Shui, Feng Shui, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, in the first edition, I think he said something to, along the lines of maps hold you back. When there's a map, well, more detailed maps particularly, when there's a map and it shows a bunch, you know, bunch of barrels over in the corner, then uh, you can't then say, oh, is there a barrel over here that I can roll at the enemy? And, you know, and because Feng Shui is uh, very much about uh, doing stunts, yeah. It you know it's it stops you from doing stunts because you're not in the right place to roll a barrel at the enemy because you can see the barrels over there. There's no barrels. So yeah. he said, "Don't use maps; they hold you back." And I've kind of taken that as a as a yeah as a as a thing as a principle. Since. I yeah. think it depends on the particular on the game, situation. Really, yeah, from the alien ones again, you're generally. You think, oh, I need to get there to turn the power on, and what's my route to get there, and what can happen on the way? Yeah. So you do need to have a a clear visualization, visualization of what that route is, and in a map in that situation, a map is probably essential, I think. And so I how, think how are we concluding, concluding this in terms of virtual tabletops? The what? Sorry. How are we concluding this in terms of virtual no, tabletops? I'd have to say, mm, I'll be negative. I think it destroys the the remote. It's it's 
ruins the imagination. I think part part of the role playing thing is when a GM's describing it to you, you form their own picture in your head. Yeah. Maps yeah. help. And some basic maps can be shared in mm. in Zoom. You don't need a virtual tabletop to do it. No, um, but you know, I know there's a lot of people out there who who like you know love all the the extra stuff you can get through Roll Twenty and Foundry and Ark and Forge and the rest of it. Fantasy grounds. Um, I think for me, I'm 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 finding using Zoom with screen share perfectly adequate um, is a pretty good thing. What so, else in a world of gaming then? If we're leaving, VTT well, the there? other thing I wanted to mention, I think uh, you're missing these. Uh, we talked last time about the labyrinth, the Simon Silent Hard book, so we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, I think it is ending or ended today. I can't remember exactly. I think today's the last day, actually. And yeah. ending very soon, and definitely after we've edited this podcast, is the Merc Borg uh, Kickstarter for uh, Putrescence Regnant which is their um, death metal album stroke bog crawl um, scenario, which I'm quite excited by. Have you backed it? I've backed it at the very top level. So oh. I get both the, both, uh, of course, and both of these albums come on special custom vinyl. Uh, and the basic custom vinyl looks really great. It's kind of yellow with black splatters all over it, very murk bog. Um, the more expensive custom vinyl, I can't remember what the vinyl looks like, but it's got gold foil on the cover. So, so it's vinyl. So do you have a gramophone, Grandad? I do. I have a gramophone. I have a turn, and, and my boy's getting into turntables as well. Oh, so okay. I was thinking by the time this arrives, my boy will be 16 and therefore legally allowed to play Merc Boy, yeah? Uh -huh. And uh, I will give uh, one, whichever one I, I like least to my son. Because he is hoping to get a turntable for Christmas as well, and he's yeah. buying. So this uh, the 16-year-old, or not the 15? Not 15-year-old yet. Yeah, not the 54-year-old. No. Not yeah. the 54-year-old, or the <laughs> boy who said he was 18 when we went to see The Exorcist uh, a couple of days ago at the cinema. That's Enc an entirely different. Encouraged son. by his his uh, his wayward father. Because that son was 18. No, that son was 18. This is my 15-year-old. Anyway, so and I think. I think him and his gang, they're currently playing D&D. I think they'll love to play Mork Boyer and um, they'll have a whirl of fun with that. So Cool. He's getting a copy of that. Um, does remind me of the old Not the Lockout News sketch. Yes. About the gramophone. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you know, gramophone! It, it, it plays all the records, all the uh, 45s and 33s. Uh, what about my old 78s? What? Oh, nothing, think, nothing. Like, you said, what about my old 78s? Didn't <laughs> you? No, 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 I didn't. I, I guess there's a, there's a, there's a, a whole... Um, Community of listeners who've got no, no idea yeah, what we're talking about. about. Yeah, what sort Do you of want any tweeters for that? Ooh, ooh, a medium? medium? <laughs> How many watts? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. sorry. So, yes, uh, uh, you don't want to hear us talk about old jokes. When two or three or four get together, they will perform the parrot, the parrot sketch. sketch. It is a dead parrot. It, it has ceased, ceased to be. be. Um, <laughs> This, we, we, you can tell we, we've had a drink or two. We're can't just you? about retaining confidence. I don't think this is much worse than any of our usual magazine programs. It, it feels it. But shall we move on to <laughs> yes. our patrons? Yeah, absolutely. You move on to our wonderful so, new patrons. Again, this is really splendid. Episode after episode after episode, we have new patrons to welcome aboard. And we've got two special new patrons uh, this month. Ben Rogers has been a long-time fan. Well, almost from episode one, I guess. Yeah, he? He and, was... and and he's joined a gang of patrons. So, Ben, welcome. Yeah, Welcome to, to the Happy Gang. Um, I think Ben isn't yet on the Discord, but Ben, I urge you, 
I, mm-hmm. I imagine you, like us, you know, the Discord is, is a newfangled thing and why can't we all be using uh, emails and internet relay chat? But come on the Discord. Well, I think, have you got any evidence for that? That might be really kind of like, Yeah, you know, I might have been really ageist to ben, you know, But I just happened to notice that he didn't automatically get enrolled in our Discord, right, so okay. he may not be able to Discord. I apologise on behalf of Matthew, Ben, if that was the most insulting thing you could have said. Uh, uh, anyway, and, thank um, you for, thank and you our second me. new patron actually has a nice segue onto the next programme because that is Frank Grafe. And Frank is somebody who, well, popped up in the community and particularly came to my attention just a few weeks ago when he introduced a scenario called The Truth About Station 18. And the truth about Station 18, the thing that grabbed me when I when I saw it, is A, it had not my scenario of the top spot in the Free League workshop, but never mind that. You have to keep getting that in, don't you, mate? Uh, B, it is written by Costa Costulas. It's Coriolis, of course. And it's a Coriolis adventure, yeah. And Costa Costulas was somebody we met in Sweden. He's one of the you know founders of Free League. And I thought, this is interesting. And of course, it turned out to be a first edition adventure translated into English and updated for um, for uh, for the new system of Coriolis that we all play. So we interviewed him. He didn't bribe us by becoming a member. I just want to say that. We interviewed him <laughs> a couple of weeks ago now, didn't we? We in, did, yeah. Uh, in, ready for this programme. And then last week, I noticed it also become a patron. So thank you very yes, much, Yes, thank Grafe. you, Frank. Welcome. Grafe. Frank, I mean. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, thanks for joining um, so that's enough. Shall we go straight into I've now kind of introduced that interview. So you have. we might as well listen to Frank talking to you and I. You and me. Well, here we are in our um, Players in the Hammam slot. And we have with us uh, a guest who lives here in the UK, but is a German originally. And that is Frank Graf. How... Actually, how do I pronounce your surname? Is that pronounced yeah, correctly? That's pretty pretty close. Most of my uh, friends and family and students don't get it right. So Frank Greff, if you really Greff. want to do it the Greff. German way, but most people call me Graf over here. Like <laughs> a graph paper. Yeah. That's fine. And um, <laughs> um, we've invited you into Hammam, Frank, because yes. you surprised us and the whole Coriolis fan world, but I hope not the guys <laughs> at <laughs> Uh, by knocking me off the top spot in the Free League workshop. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Well, that's I mean, okay. Matthew that's just okay. has to get that into every conversation we have. <laughs> yes. I'm in December. I've, I've tried to sponsor it. I've tried to download it and put it back up on the, on the pop, uh, top <laughs> spot. But right now, sorry. Too many people are buying yours. That's okay. Well, you know, <laughs> we bought yours as well. Uh, so that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, but what intrigued me is not actually your name, Frank. I'm sorry. But <laughs> the name of your, shall we say, co-author in this circumstance, yeah, mm-hmm. which is Costa Costulas, yes, uh, and Costa Costulas obviously was one of, he is still one of the founder members of Free League, mm-hmm. um, and as we learned when we were uh, in the pub with him in Sweden, thanks for the callback there, Dave. <laughs> um, he he started off as a fan of the original. Uh, uh, Coriolis game and wrote some stuff for that original version. Mm-hmm. One one bit of what he wrote is what you have translated: the truth about Station Eighteen. Yeah, and you've translated it. And uh, for, for 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 years now, the Anglophone world has been clamouring for some of those early scenarios to be translated. 
and suddenly one appeared. <laughs> so we want to ask you all about that. But yeah, before that, good. we always ask all our guests this. Tell us about your life in gaming. How did oh, you yes. I had to dredge through my memories a little bit. My life in gaming. Mm -hmm. I think, like many people, I started in the mid-80s, must have been about 85 or so, with Redbox D&D. That was my first thing, being a um, hobbit burglar. What else? <laughs> um, from there, um, there was a mate of mine who was running it. He basically just tapped me on the shoulder at some point and said, oh, we've got this new game. Let's try it out. Would you be up for it? And a bit like you, when you go to your Norfolk uh, weekends, we then went to his holiday house and we spent a couple of nights just playing through all the content he had ready. And then when we finished, I thought, I want to run this. I don't want to play. Mm -hmm. I want to run this. So I uh, got into a German uh, board game, one of the oldest German board games, actually the, the oldest role-playing game in Germany called Midgard. It's not the Dark Eye. Yeah, mm -hmm. when you go on your slot on Orkenspalter, and soon they'll be talking about the Dark Eye a lot, I'm sure. But right. it is actually Midgar, which is the first uh -huh. of the best. <laughs> okay. um, but I played that for many, many years. It's a bit like BRP. It's very much skills-based and class-based rather than race-based. That always annoyed me on the old TNT. Played a bit of um, that a lot. I ran that a lot. But at the same time, a few of my friends were offering games. So I was playing things like, oh, gosh, Dark Eye, tried it once or twice, it was rubbish. Um, Dangerous <laughs> Journeys, Gary Gygax, yeah, tried uh, that yeah. one. Traveller, even, a little bit of Call of Cthulhu played that. Um, but the next big thing after Midgar we got into was Beyond the Supernatural. Ooh, okay. And this uh, is another German game. No, it's not. It's Palladium. Uh, oh! Sort of uh, investigating the supernatural world, which is actually really... Yeah, as a rule system, as a pig, but uh, <laughs> as a setting, it was really great because it was just around the same time that the X Files came out. So we were trying to ah. combine those two things, and it was really good, really great fun. Um, played a little bit of things like Paranoia as well, and then mm -hmm. the Twilight. The I bought that in 1990. I was just saying, played a couple of rounds of Cult, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but mainly. Uh, as soon as I finished school and went to university, that all fell by the wayside because I didn't have my group. I couldn't take my group with me. Yeah. So I then ended up playing more board games than anything else and went into this long, long lapse, hibernation of the hobby of role-playing games. And then jobs got in the way and kids got in the way, all that sort of stuff. So it's actually uh, probably about three years, two years ago that I got back into the hobby. I took my, my son to um, Comic-Con and then started looking around and say, oh, look at all these new games I have no idea about. Uh, that's actually when I came across Coriolis as well, probably about two years ago. And, um, and by this time you were living in England, right? Oh, yeah, I've been yeah. living here for, for, I can't remember, 20, 23 years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, long time. And um, I just picked up the book Coriolis and looked, flicked through it, and the art style was just amazing. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is exactly the sort of vibe I was looking for. Yeah, it's just sparked off so many stories in my head. And I read a couple of the chapters with all the little plot hooks, you know, what it's like. Oh, yeah. Uh, where you just say, this, they just mention it. It's just a teaser. And then yeah. stop. And you have to make up the rest yourself. And yeah, that's what I got into. So um played a little bit of Conan as well at a couple of um, cons and so on. And then I joined up here in Milton Keynes. Mm -hmm. We've got the uh, Milton Keynes Role Playing Club. All right, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, yep. Which sometimes also organizes a con called the Concrete Cow. Concrete Cow, I've seen, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Never been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that since then, basically, every every week, every Tuesday night we meet, uh, I've been playing nonstop again. So I really got into it. And through your podcast, cool. I've been spending a lot of money in the Freelix uh, shop as well. <laughs> <laughs> so my shelves are full. My wife is getting a bit fed up. But yeah, I've if been only, playing. If only we got commission. 
We missed the trick there. Yeah, yeah. The affiliate link doesn't really work on their website. <laughs> no. Yeah, That's why so, I drive everybody to drive through now because we do have an affiliate driver. <laughs> I know, I know. When I put up my Truth about Station 18 link, I made sure to use your affiliate link as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, channeled a few pennies to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then in the club, I started then running Coriolis as well. So I, I started off with the last voyage of the Ghazali, mm-hmm. um, yeah. then the Statue of Zabagram, yeah, to that yeah. Thing that is in there, I extended that quite a bit and built the founders into it and the the uh, um, the dark between the stars, all that sort of thing. It's really interesting because some of the things I did are now reappearing in the last cycle. The same idea. Yeah. Don't go too much into it. <laughs> Don't tell Dave, but um, no, it is quite rewarding actually. Um, I'm avoiding it completely. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I just had to flick through it. It's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, so I've been playing that there and I've been playing over the last few months now. Of course, we've been playing online a bit. So I've got mm-hmm. a second group now that I started putting through the paces on Coriolis. Cool. And I'm also running quite a bit of um, Simba Room, mm-hmm. which I also ah, yeah. really nice. enjoy. So that's currently what I'm playing. Yeah. Brilliant. So cool. the question I have to ask then, because when when I saw this translation, mm-hmm. I assumed you'd been playing first edition uh, Coriolis, that oh. you were Swedish, as we've already had this conversation out with uh, <laughs> this interview, uh, and that you just said, hey, well, you know, there's these great Swedish scenarios I've got from the old <laughs> days. Let's translate those. How did you come across? I didn't even know of the existence of the truth yeah. of Station 18. No. One of the advantages of my job is I've got holidays. I've got long holidays <laughs> as a teacher. So I send off course. It's really refreshing to hear a teacher say that because every teacher I know, including my sister-in-law, is like, holidays? We don't have long holidays. Girls just work, 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 work. So we thank you, Frank. I, I have thank to say, I have to say I work six days a week. So, I, so we have got Saturday school as well. So yeah, yeah. I deserve those long holidays. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I wasn't saying you don't. No. Um, and all the teachers do. I don't want to land anybody in trouble. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can set myself a little bit of a project. And so when I was running the, the statute of Sarbagram, and I said, okay, I want to really make this not just a here's a statuette, find out what happened, retrieve it. I wanted to build a little bit of, of backdrop into this. I wanted to have mm. the, the myths and the culture and especially the mystical aspects built into my story. So I thought, okay, I really want this to be a launching pad. I want this adventure down on Kua. I want them to find mm-hmm. something that will lead them completely somewhere else. And from the yeah. from the core rule book, I thought the Rimwood Reach sounds absolutely brilliant. Mm. Let's go for that sort of frontier, not far away, but far out there. So I started researching lots of things to say, okay, what well, can you actually find resource-wise? And there's very little mm. um, that is available in English. But then I came across um, an article in a, in a Swedish role-playing magazine called Phoenix. Phoenix, yes. From 2010, I think it's issue Costa 2010. Costa wrote a lot for Phoenix. In his, yes. In his mm. And it yeah. actually was one of his, which was a Grenzrunden Ochtachrum. Uh, so it's the, the border space or uh, the Rimwood Reach and Jachrum. So I had, yeah, yeah, exactly that one. Thanks <laughs> for showing that on the camera. It doesn't come across on the podcast, but that's... It's not the, so great on the podcast, is it? But yes, so... Uh, we'll yeah. post um, some photos, Dave. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'll have uh, a piece of news on that one as well. Well, I'm hoping, you're, gonna, there, I'm hoping you're going to translate that one as well, because... By the time this podcast is likely to be out there, my, my translation of it... I oh, just brilliant. finished it today. Oh, um, should be on drive through, but yeah, the nice thing of that that book there is um, it mentions in the 
and the inside back cover somewhere. It says something about this project that they were running, Horizons End, and it was listing some of the resources available. So I, I started then ferreting them out, and I found them on the internet. I found PDFs of that, and I ah. thought, oh, these sound really good. So there's the Sandingen uh, SS18. Sorry, I don't speak much Swedish, so the 18, I don't know how to say that in Swedish. Um, and the next one was Lysblumann's Morkablad, which is uh, the light flowers, dark leaf. And then it was this one here. So I started, yeah, he's got them <laughs> all. He's making me jealous. I can't read them, but, you know. <laughs> so... I then started to said, okay, I, initially I thought I can just mine this for, for pictures and maps. Um, but then I thought, no, sort that. Yeah, I'm a linguist. can't be that difficult to, to learn a bit of Swedish and read these things. <laughs> and that's cool. how it started. So it took me a few weeks really to, to work through all, all of the works to get them to a status where I could run the game. But yeah, I'll never look back. It's been really good fun to have those resources available. And um, as we mentioned earlier on, on Facebook, on Discord, places like that, Reddit, people always mention these, these mm. modules, these resources, yeah. but then they say, unfortunately, it's not available. So I contacted um, at Free League and said, how about it? Are you planning to do anything with that? Initially via the forum and didn't get picked up, I think, so that went in hiatus for a few months. But then mm. I had another conversation and I wrote directly to the help desk and got a, a few days mm -hmm. later from uh, Matthias, I got uh, an email saying, you know what, we don't have plans to do this. If you like to, to publish this yeah, on, uh, on, the, on the workshop, you have our blessing. <laughs> cool. So, and the key and that, thing that came with that, let me just make sure of this, it was also the license to use the original artwork and, and the maps, right? As long as I credited the original artists. Yeah. Great, yeah. Yeah, I think certainly. It, you know, it's a key thing and a distinction we should make for other Free League Workshop creators Products, is yeah. that actually the Free League Workshop license generally doesn't give you permission to no. take images out of the published works. Mm -hmm. So you, you got that specifically from Matthias with, as you say, with with the credits and all of that. That's, that's certainly, he said, make sure you credit the graphic artists. And for me, that's not as explicit as it might have been. Um, but for me, that if I'd credit them, then of yeah, I would have used that work. So if not, he needs to tell me to stop it right now. <laughs> um, but actually, quite a few of the um, the artworks are still in the current Coriolis books as right, well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of them, like in the in the next one, in the um, one on Jachrum, for example, they're in black and white, but the character arts basically is Dr. Warner is in there. Mm. Yeah, so you right. recognize a lot of the art and a lot of the personnel. Cool. But yeah, so um, that's how I came across these works. And I just thought, oh, you know what, we really need to make this available. And I made it available for pay what you want. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know what your experiences have been with that. Um, well, so <laughs> we're not, I'm, I, I refuse to do pay what you want. <laughs> I'll be interested. We could have this conversation, maybe on yeah. live, maybe we'll cut it out. Um, I mean, I haven't put one up yet, so yeah. um, I right. haven't had that problem. So, Matt, so the, the first bit of work we did was actually one of Dave's, but we did that absolutely free mm -hmm. just because we were testing. Uh, we were one, That's true. we'd, we'd yeah. been given the templates earlier than everybody else. We wanted to get something out quickly. We would, at that time, I was we weren't using InDesign to put it together. We mm. so I, I was using Affinity. So there's some translation issues with that. Mm -hmm. So we, we just did that and put it online for free just to see what the interest was. And so far that's been pretty good. We've sold some well, given away 
900 <laughs> copies or something wow. like that. That's that quite one. a few. It's not bad. If only, yeah, we should have charged a tenner each, then, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> the calendar. We well, might not have got 900 only... sales then. <laughs> so the calendar, um, which, you know, because uh, I'd kind of commissioned John Salquist to do the art and said, mm-hmm. let's split it. Uh, obviously, that had to have money attached. Yeah. And it's and beautiful, John I have to say. was um, mm-hmm. kind of confident in his artwork and said, it is worth a beer. It is yeah. worth at least a beer <laughs> for each of us. <laughs> and prices. I said, well, it depends <laughs> yeah. what you pay for beer, <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. mate. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but we, we settled on, I think it's $5. Yeah, yeah $5 exactly, actually, mm-hmm. as, as a price. And that's been pretty good. We're creeping up towards... Um, Copper bestsellers we sold forty odd issues, uh, mm-hmm. and then I took and, and pay what you want. I just feel that you you give you actually give away a lot. You do, you do, and I don't know how many. I mean, I'd be interested to find out what proportion of people are paying you. We paid your suggested price. I thank you. Listen to that. <laughs> You're in the minority, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, how many of those have been given away? How many have given you something? Um, yeah, I mean, last time I checked this morning was, I think, 133, uh, 134, something like that, That's downloads. Mm-hmm. And out of that, 34 paid something. Right. And on average, most of them seem to be paying the £2 that I put on, as suggested. So I think somebody put a bit more, some people will put a bit less, but you don't get a lot of detail of how much people pay. You just get the total. Yeah. Um, so it's a nice little... Uh, pocket money if you like it allows mm-hmm. me to buy a couple of extra things of drive through myself uh, like the, yeah. the phoenix 3 the next episode that basically the next issue of that phoenix magazine i bought uh, on there <laughs> um but it will never be uh, anything more than that i think more than a pocket you're not going to be able to give up your job teaching and uh, live no, off the proceeds no, no. not quite <laughs> yet maybe Wonder. i need to make original content and then of course it will be completely different <laughs> I, was, yeah. I don't know so some, was, some, somewhere in december is uh, original content and you know that's we're not making enormous amounts there. you're not raking it in you still have to talk yeah. to me i was going to ask frank have you um so so you're talking about the um, your your campaigns that you've been running uh, on Coriolis, taking the published stuff and then expanding on it somewhat. Have you had any thoughts about turning your expanded content into stuff that you'd put onto the workshop? There's a thought of it, but yeah, it would require quite a bit of work. No, I'm not an artist at all. Uh, I really struggle no, with that. And neither that am I. would yeah. be one of those things, if you wanted to include some of the art, yeah, um, then probably would mean going out and finding somewhere to commission. And then you have a, a chunk of money you have to earn back somewhere. Yeah. So that's it's a bit of a blocker for me right now. I mean, I, for, my, for my game group here, I basically created, for example, a temple room in Blender, which I was just picking up. I was just trying to teach myself a little bit of Blender and okay. then rendered a nice sort of, 3D version of it and made a picture of it, but it wouldn't be fit for publication, really. Right, yeah. Me playing around. But the story, I could. Yeah, the story was quite nice, I think. The, 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 the group are quite creeped out by it. And ah, a dramatic excellent. fight in that temple hall, and somebody lost an arm through one of the first crits I ever rolled in the game. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I do remember, I used to run a campaign called the Spectral Corsair with my, yeah. my group here in, um, uh, in Hartford. And I think we'd had a, a couple of amputated limbs. We had lost mm. feet. We had one had lost their eye, a couple of deaths. Um, one of them tried to, Tony, my brother, poisoned somebody. Um, but to convince them to take a drink, he had to take a sip of it as well. And the poison killed him, <laughs> even though he took a sip. Yeah, so I, it's, um, it's a great game for, uh, 
uh, what's the right way of putting it? That sort of um, extravagant, dramatic, <laughs> going from not very much to you know really extreme outcome. It can and can go very swiftly. Yeah, as I said, it was I think the very first crit certainly in in that part of the adventure that we ran. Mm. And it was my son, but he's forgiven me. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's never forgiven me for the crit I did on him. Never. Oh, no, well, I, I did because you you I took it back. You took it back because I because I, I I I lost I lost it a little bit. I got very upset, and it wasn't my birth. birthday. <laughs> and he shot my character in the head. <laughs> Sixty-six. Oh dear. Anyway, not, um, let's not go over old ground yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're here to talk to Frank after all. So well, Frank, yeah, talk to Frank. That's a mm-hmm. good slogan. Mm. You've been. Um, successful with this with this first piece you've mentioned that we're doing another piece what's what's next in in line well what next in line by the time this has already come out um what i'm hoping it will be out by that point is this um grand room in room so the the guide basically to the rimwood reach so it's in two sections the first one talks about the rimwood reach as a, as a location overall about the different asteroid bases you find and the different sites it's like a travel guide and the second one is about mm. the asteroid base of Jachrum itself so buildings of it maps of its locations in it so it's very much a setting background yeah uh, it was about i think about 20 pages yeah dave can check that now uh, but uh, check in the original yeah certainly in the phoenix one and the phoenix magazine it took up about 20 pages i didn't have the official um oh, so the official there. one is, is 38 pages in total 38 oh well maybe missing some well, there's, there's quite a lot of artwork there's some quite full full page artwork so it's not oh. all text obviously no. freely do tend to lay out their text quite sparingly yeah they do um even though there's quite a lot of text in this one. But, but yeah. so it's actually the, the free league workshop uh, template is quite spacious as well. Mm. You, know, you end up um, on 20 pages. I think it's now 38 of, uh, 38 pages for that book that I've got. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to get that out quite swiftly. And then after that, it takes a little more work because there's more stats and so on in there, is this, um, the light flowers dark leaf. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm intrigued... Because of course we the the first English language uh, quick start yeah seems to be a mashup of uh, light flowers dark leaves and mm-hmm. the truth about station eighteen very much so because it's got the name from one and the content from the other <laughs> <laughs> so the um, the quick start dark flowers is set if I remember correctly it's all about it the Barani. Uh, mm-hmm. Princess or something like that, or Emir, yeah. who's coming up with this research project and this research station, which gets lost. And it's very similar to that in many ways. But the the original, I just call it the original, the truth about Station 18. Um, there's a foundation station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I don't want to spoil much no, yeah, don't because spoil you don't me. play it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so everything is set in the Rimwood Reach. It's um, it's got a bit of a starter on Jahrum on the basis that you can actually do some more uh, some more research before you go out there, and hopefully you will. Um, and then I think the mood of it is just overall a bit darker. Mm. Um, so I've played Dark Flowers once only as a player. I've never actually run it. Um, but certainly my, my experience of it was that um, the one I ran then, Station 18, is definitely a bit more horror-focused. All right. You can okay. do a bit more with it. 
And um, that's why I think it was worth putting it out, even though the quick start is out there. It was, I didn't want to put the biggest out first, which would have been the scenario setting. Mm -hmm. I wanted to put one of the smaller ones out first to see how it would go. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've done. Yeah. So I would really, if people enjoy Dark Flowers um, reading it, maybe they haven't run it yet, then go for the truth about Station 18. If you already have played it with your group, then it's probably not worth running it again. It would be so similar that they might know a few plot points. And so this third publication, uh, how is that different again from... Now from... Without from memory, again, real yeah, Dark Flowers <laughs> I played last year actually with one of the guys you've bought some stuff from before as well, Jack Khan Hasamura, he's called mm-hmm. on, on the Free League workshop. He he ran it and I was invited along as a guest. That was quite nice of him. Mm. Um, ran it in German even. Um, cool. Yeah, so from playing Dark Flowers, there's basically no overlap at all. Right. Um, the The light flower refers to, I think, something technological. I don't want to spoil it too much. Mm-hmm. And that is not nothing to do with the dark flower, which is all about this. Uh, you've played it, right? Yes. <laughs> I, not uh, Dave, have, you haven't I, I haven't played it, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm ever going to. So, you don't right. need to worry. so it's <laughs> about the uh, these sort of vacuum flowers that are now vacuum plants that can grow out in space on asteroids mm-hmm. and so on. I, uh, so yeah, that's I more, I've read some of it, actually. So that's more botanical, it. if you yeah. like. So I think they're not actually, there's no overlap with that one, other than the title. Yeah. I'm actually not quite sure. You could translate it as um, the light flowers, dark petals, or the light flowers, dark leaves. Okay. Not quite made up uh, which one I'm going to go with. Probably leaves sounds better. Petals sounds a bit precious. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So so that's uh, that's the extent of your translation work that you're going to do at the moment at the moment yeah if, yeah. More, if there's more stuff coming out of the woodworks then i might find some more but right now i haven't been able to locate anything else and just briefly historical stuff that that we might not have uncovered yet so but i think you just answered that question there frank um what's that sorry historical um, stuff there's any more any more stuff from back in the day from uh, from the free league that has there's one more that i know of and that's right. iskalt inferno which is already yes. in the work somebody's doing yeah. a translation of it and i haven't been able to put my hands on it so <laughs> i'll leave that i won't go there if it's in, in the works already then there's no point in me doing it as well that one yeah yeah yes and we're going to be talking about ice cold inferno uh with moa in the next november yeah for the episode november sometime in one mm-hmm. of our episodes in november uh yeah to when that's coming out yeah. And uh, I was really keen to play a nomad. And so uh, <laughs> the idea of you looking at Drachum, uh in, in the next one, or other, you translating uh, <laughs> Costa and everybody looking at Drachum is is going to be great because, of course, that's the big centre of, or the local centre, shall we say, of mm-hmm. Nomad. It's actually quite delightful to do this sort of translation because, as I said before, I don't actually speak Swedish at all. <laughs> but uh, I am a linguist and... Yeah, knowing a few other languages and like um, having grown up with some Danish in my ear because I'm right from the north of Germany where there's mm. a Danish minority. And watching a lot of uh, the Scandinois recent uh, yeah. films and series TV like and stuff, The Bridge yeah. and so on in Swedish and in <laughs> Danish, I am starting to pick up more and more of it. But it so, basically allowed me to uncover bit by bit what the story was. It's almost like an archaeologist. Yeah? You, <laughs> you brush and you brush off the layers of another language and you discover the content underneath. So it's been really good fun to actually do that. 
Not wishing to um, uh, cast any aspersions on your linguistics abilities, because I'm sure they're brilliant. <laughs> have you had an English-speaking Swede check the translation just to no, be on the I safe side? No, I have not, actually. <laughs> I, I have not looked at it. I mean, I, I could, of course, send it to Costas and say, oh, do, would you like to have a look at it? But he might be a bit busy right now. I think he's doing a few other things. I think they're very um, busy all the time, yeah. No, and I'm sure there will be inaccuracies, and there, I'm sure there will no, be, the sure be great typos no. and grammar mistakes in there, because I keep finding them. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually had a, a lector, as if you like, yeah? somebody who's proofreading it at all. It's just me. So if you find something, fingers crossed. Feedback <laughs> is always sure it's welcome. Be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> feedback yeah, is always welcome. And you're spending your earnings on other Swedish language issues of Phoenix, uh, Phoenix magazine. Some of them, yeah, yeah. My, my son just uh, wanted a, a role-playing game called uh, Sigmata, I think it's called, which I'd never heard of before. Nope. But yeah, we, we bought that as well as a print copy from DriveThru. It hasn't arrived yet. Um, but yeah, so basically, I think my grand total earnings are currently about £35. Um, so it doesn't <laughs> stretch all that far. <laughs> No, better than uh, nothing. Better than a slap in the face with a wet fish. Absolutely. I mean, it's delightful yeah. that people are actually paying for it, I have to say. Mm. I'm, I'm really pleased with that. And um, because it was meant, because the, the Coriolis community, if you go to Discord or Reddit or something, it's just so welcoming and generous with all the things they've done from shipbuilders to mission generators mm. to other sheets. Um, I just felt like I needed to give something back as well to the community. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much, Frank, for giving back not just something, but something that people have all been saying they wanted. Wanting for years and years and years. Exactly. Oh, well, yeah. It's a pleasure. And yeah, it's been a, an honour to speak to you two. Right? So oh, yeah, likewise. Absolutely. Likewise. No, thank <laughs> it's you. an honour to have you in our hammam. So the thing then that I was really surprised by is listening to that interview again, he he learned Swedish just so he could translate these things. Yes, that's quite impressive, isn't it? I mean, he is a professional linguist. That's what he does. He, you know, he's at a university. Um, uh, I'm sure he, he knew. I think he told us he knew a bit of Danish already. But Danish doesn't help anybody, as far as I understand. Um, Other than the Danes, of course. Apart, apart from that, well, I've seen a Norwegian sketch show where they, uh, where the whole joke is the Danes find Danish so complicated that they don't even understand each other and therefore they speak English most of the time. Anyway. <laughs> um, I'll show it to you on YouTube when we've got a signal sometime. It's hilarious. Um, I wonder if the Danes find it hilarious. I'm sure the is Danes this, do, but the it, Norwegians is, is, definitely do. Is this a bit like, you know, the Norwegians taking the piss out of the Danes and making them really angry, but like English taking the piss out of the Scots and having the Scots get really angry? Yeah, that's very true. And we do have Scottish patrons, so no, Scot no Scottish jokes, Andy. What about Welsh jokes? All Welsh jokes. I'm a Welshman myself. Sue the Welsh. I'm a Welshman, particularly when we beat you English at the rugby. Well, that lost happened. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 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 so you learned. No, that was great. I mean, it's you know. Well, I mean, he, you know, he hadn't he hasn't learned Swedish. He said he he learned enough to be able to translate the text into Swedish, uh, and then very bravely put it out there without getting somebody who speaks English and Swedish to check it. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously has great confidence in his linguistic abilities to do so. And no one's, no one's came up saying, oh, this is gobbledygook. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not doing a Google Translate, is he? I think we can be pretty confident. <laughs> yeah. not a Google Translate. Yeah. And since then, not only has that been a great success, but as he said in the interview, he was about to bring the Dacroom supplement out, and that exists. And he's also now brought out Lightflower Dark Leaf, which is an entirely different scenario from... 
the thing we call Dark Flowers, which is the quick start. But it's, uh, Nils said, its title was, he stole that title because he thought the, uh, the quick start is actually mostly based on the truth about Station 18, but he thought that was a really crap title. So hmm. he yeah. stole uh, a Dark Flowers from Light Flower, Dark Leaf, as he thought it was a better title. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing Nils did, he got in touch uh, via me um, with Frank on Facebook with the Jashroom supplement because Frank had got an edition from Phoenix magazine, uh, spelled F-E-N-I-X, uh, which you can find on, on drive-thru, best of YouTube, best of YouTube, best of Phoenix in English. But it's not in the English uh, translations. It's only in the Swedish copy. And he'd got that Swedish magazine article about Takroom and translated that. And then Nils said, oh, you know, you can have the rest of the text that we actually published when I think he said it was probably the first thing they published mm. as Free League. So now he's done an expanded he's translation added the extra of that. 10 pages, hasn't he, to, and, um, to that. I think he said that's the last, those three things are the only things he's going to do. Um, but I just noticed today that Free League have said, we've got somebody translating all the bits of the Swedish version of the uh, Atlas of the Third Horizon that didn't make it into the English version of the Atlas okay. of the Third Horizon. So Maybe. I wonder if that is our friend Frank. It could be. Right. Cool. What's next on our running order, um, Maestro? It would be help if you had a running order, wouldn't it? It would. If we had any connection, I could see uh, you know, <laughs> our thing on, on, uh, online. But I think the next thing we've got is um, your, your piece about battles and fighting battles in Forbidden Lands. It is the eve of battle. When we left the characters at the end of our last Forbidden Lands session, Hrocker's warriors had blown a warning horn. The elves, the Red Runners, were attacking. This puts one of our characters in an awkward position. Tengrail is right in the middle of a tense but so far friendly negotiation concerning the fate of the Blood Star Cloak Clasp, which is actually the elf Eridni in her purest form. Now, Eridni's lover, Clotinda, in the wooden form of an Ent, is leading the Red Runners in an attack on Hrocker's stronghold, the Eye of the Rose. We will be playing the next session this weekend. I have no idea what the players will decide to do, but there is a strong chance that they will find themselves in the middle of a battle, fighting on one side or the other, or just trying to get themselves out of the middle of the battle and away to safety. I might need to run a mass combat. There are rules for defending your stronghold in Forbidden Lands, but I am not sure that they are what I need in this case. They are written very much from the point of view of a player character defending their stronghold. There is a chance that my players will join the defence of the Eye of the Rose against Tengrail's old comrades, 
But I have learned never to assume that my players will do the thing that I expect. And even if that is what they decide to do, it's not their stronghold. It's Rocker's. And they are not leaders or heroes in Hrokka's army. They are three down-on-their-luck ruffians who just snuck into his palace. The stronghold battle system in the book emulates the heroic defence of the player's assets, not the feeling of being caught in a battle that they don't control. So I think I need a different, more general mass combat system but I don't want it to be very complex at all. I don't want to write the Year Zero version of Warhammer, and I don't want the session to be bogged down in the players controlling armies that they neither have a right to control, nor a committed interest in either side. We are telling the story of three misfits in over their heads right now, and I am dealing with three players who are not particularly interested in moving figures around a table. I want the battle to feel like a tide, and the players to feel that they are caught up in it, with only the smallest chance to change the outcome. Now, there is a mass combat system which I quite admire, designed for a role-playing game that all the players enjoy. In fact, it's a game we will also be playing this weekend. That game is the fourth edition of Legend of the Five Rings, and its mass combat system starts on page 241 of the core book. I don't want to get too bogged down in describing it, but the essential factors are as follows. 1. Players choose their character's position in the battle. You are in the reserves, disengaged, engaged, or heavily engaged. 2. Roles are made to determine the overall flow of the battle. Is your side losing, winning, or at stalemate? 3. With these two conditions, the players roll dice which deal them wounds, glory, and occasional opportunities for duels and heroism. The chance of all of them, wounds, glory and opportunities, increases the closer you are to the front line. So I want to make a system like that, slightly simpler and somewhat more player-facing. The principles behind my design are as follows. This system doesn't determine which side wins, generally. My assumption is that the players must make some extraordinarily successful roles to have an impact on the battle. I will let the narrative or the GM decide the final outcome, though the players do have a chance of steering it their way, narratively, if they make those very lucky roles. This system will generally decide only whether they achieved their objective and survived. Their objective might be escape the battle, or it might be as simple as do my duty, but it could be more complex. The number of successes they need to achieve their objective will be determined by the GM. 
modified somewhat by some of the factors mentioned in the Stronghold Rules in Forbidden Lands, and maybe other similar factors for other environments, and also by the number of players. More players equals more successes needed. To collect successes, the players make battle rolls. Battle rolls differ from normal combat rolls in a number of ways. The first and most important being that they can't be pushed. This is not a skill roll, which is about an attempt to do one thing. The single roll here reflects a longer struggle in the fighting. So all banes count as damage, as though the roll was pushed. War is hell. The players may get to choose where they start the battle or they may not, depending on the narrative circumstances, but they can, of course, change position. The positions are reserves, support, engaged and front line. To move from reserves to front line would take three turns if the player rolls at least one success each turn. The first success would move them from reserves to support. The next turn, another success is needed to get to engaged. And then another success the next turn would get you to the front line. If you don't choose to move, each success would contribute to the total number of successes needed to achieve the player's objective. Your position in the ranks modifies the number of base dice or attribute dice that you roll. You can't commit your physicality to the fight unless you are in the thick of it. Characters in the reserve have a minus three modifier to all battle rolls. Characters in support, minus two, and engaged characters, minus or negative one. Only characters on the front line don't have a negative modifier. Your position in the ranks also determines which skill you use for your battle roll. Characters in reserves and support can only choose ranged combat or move. Engaged characters can only use melee. These determine the number of dice they use, whatever their personal objective. Remember, this is not about a single action, rather about coping with the battle. Don't worry about counting damage dealt. Sure, you can describe your character hitting people by all means, but whether or not they are injured or killed doesn't really matter. When you roll a bane, it counts as damage as though someone from somewhere hit you. Two successes on a roll mean you can move and contribute to the shared objective, but three successes can be spent on a heroic opportunity. Time slows down and the focus is on that player's character. Until the end of the opportunity, normal combat rules apply. The player can choose to spend those three successes on contributing to the shared objective instead. But a heroic opportunity, if you are successful, is rewarded with a point of reputation. Heroic opportunities can include a clear shot. Archers and other ranged combatants can take a shot at a named individual on the opposing side. At long range, if you are in the reserves, 
short if you are in support. The result could swing the battle in your side's favour. If it does, you gain a point of reputation. An exposed flank. You can see an opportunity to move directly from the reserves or support to the front line, earning a point of reputation. Break away. You can disengage from wherever you are and get away from the battle entirely, if you so desire. It also earns you a point of reputation, a cowardly reputation, but hey. Break the shield wall. Fight and defeat two opponents and you break the enemy's front line, possibly turning the flow of the battle. If you succeed, earn one point of reputation. Duel. Your eyes lock on those of an opponent who thinks themselves your equal. The fight is on. Use advanced combat rules if you like. Spend an extra success if you have one, to make sure the duel was witnessed by someone who will sing of it later and earn a point of reputation, win or lose. Pick up the flag. The banner is fallen, but you can pick it up. Fight with just one hand and no shield for the rest of the battle and you may reduce the rank modifier wherever you are by one. Keep hold of the flag until the end and earn a point of reputation. Rousing the forces. You can see an opportunity to use perform to give a speech, sing a hymn, or just let go with a terrible war cry, energising your side, possibly changing the narrative of the battle. Earn a point of reputation. Stand with a commander. You catch the eye of the leader of your army and he tells you to stay with him. If you give up your own objective and move with him until the end of the battle, you earn a point of reputation. This doesn't give the player any particular action, but in subsequent battle rolls, if they roll a success, they stick with the commander. The commander will tend to want to be engaged or at the front line, but the GM may have other plans. Treat a broken comrade. If you are able to treat a broken comrade and then get back into the reserve rank, you can earn a point of reputation. Treat an enemy. Treat a broken enemy soldier and you get a point of reputation without having to take him to reserve rank. Now, knowing my players, we won't get to test this system at all. But one thing that I'd like to think about some more is reputation. According to the guidelines in the player's handbook, I think you're only meant to earn one point of reputation maximum per session. And this might create a lot more. We'll find that out in play. Cool. Interesting. Um, Well, our our resident expert on uh, L5R is um, Tony. He runs our... (laughs) Campaign, uh, GM for that, which we've been playing now for, oh, I don't know how many years. Uh, well, it's nearly seven years. I didn't check, actually. Seven it's seven nearly seven years. The first scenario we ran it was January 2014. So it's very nearly seven years. Seven years. And the scenario, the scenario we do this weekend will be the 11th scenario we've done in, in seven, seven years. years. Is it really seven um, years? Yeah. Well, yeah very nearly. It was 
January 2014, yeah. so very nearly seven years. So, um, seeing, <clears throat> I think, you know, Matt has taken a lot of inspiration from L5R, and, you know, admittedly so. Um, any thoughts, Tone, on, on how some of that sounds? Um, well, interesting to say, actually, the scenario that will be happening this weekend for Legend of the Five Rings will very likely be the first one that we've done, or that I've done, that uses the mass battle rules. So I have no experience of using these rules yet. Um, this this weekend was really, or the scenario born on this weekend will be the one to, to kind of find out how it works and how it and how it flows. So see how it goes. It looks... It looks interesting. It looks interesting in that obviously in a, in a mass battle, it's kind of quite hard for your player characters, especially when they're fairly low ranked player characters, to have an influence on the outcome because your characters in the Alpha Army are not the generals in the army. You have, will have no real impact on the overall kind of strategy or tactics in the battle. So, what I quite like about the mass battle rules is that in the heroic opportunities, it does give you an opportunity as the players, whatever kind of level you're at, to do actions that will potentially have an impact. Swing the battle. Uh, on the overall battle, because <clears throat> succeeding in those can affect the the roles. So there'll be a general on each side who will be making the battle roles yeah. for the overall flow of the battle and how it's going, which side is winning. But you can influence those roles by success in those heroic opportunities. So um, it kind of feels like it's... It's quite well designed in, you know, achieving that, that objective. How, how it works, obviously, we'll you know, we'll find out mm. later on. So, what you were talking about there, Matthew, is again very does in principle is very similar. It's trying to achieve the same objective. Um, I like the sound of it. I think. Yeah, it, it sounds, I'm not sure about the. Good. We did briefly touch on this. We were talking about earlier about not being able to push your roles in battle, mm. and what the kind of narrative. Reason justification for that, for that so is my narrative justification for that is you're in a battle of course you're pushing your roles uh, and these aren't these aren't skill roles these are battle roles which are a little bit different uh, and i'm not saying this is perfect by any means we'll we'll, we'll, we'll play test it by battle role what do you mean so because there isn't the battle skill is there there isn't a battle skill no so you're so, using whatever is the most appropriate skill for your position in the army yeah but that but that skill isn't different to the well, to, to the it, skill. So if if you're using ranged combat, say yes, in a battle, you're still using the same bow and the same arrow. Yeah. No, you're not doing necessarily doing else. that. You're using potentially ranged combat to move. Um, but, but you said you'd use move. So, you, so you in, have in, the, move. in the reserve, Let, let's go to the front line. Yeah. Okay. Let's okay. go to the front line where you must use um, melee. Melee. Not yeah. Ranged combat. You do that for any action you want to take. So why can't you push it? Yeah. So why can't you push? In the army? Uh, sorry, in, 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 in the... That, so if you're talking about the front line... Okay. So if you're I'm, in the front I'm, line... I'm in the front line. Ten grails in the front line. I'm standing there in the shield wall. I've got my shield. Because this, this and isn't and simulating you hacking somebody with a sword. This is simulating you, or emulating you, let's say, doing whatever it is you wanted to do in that particular round. Uh, what if I wanted want to hit somebody with my sword in that round? <laughs> uh, and well, only if I'm you've just got trying, the just trying to, just trying to dig into the, the, the why you okay. decided to... So the key thing is, what I want push. is I want you to take damage if you roll Banes without pushing. I don't want you to have the option of not taking damage in a battle. 
You're trying to represent the odd side, the odd stab in the side. Here. Exactly. You know, you're and surrounded by soldiers, yes. big ragging everywhere. This is a that, very simple. You're going to get hit by something. Not having to yeah, do. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to surround you with people and have each, you know, make an attack. Well, I, mean, I, know I want good. your role, yeah. and only you. I am not going to make any roles here. Mm. I want your role to determine how successful you are in your achieving your objective, yeah. and also how much damage you take. So, in this sense, do you only do you only count banes if you fail the roll? No. So you could have, let's say, six dice. You could get five successes and one bane. You still take a point of damage. Yes, but obviously, you you also then get a splendid opportunity. Which yeah, can, which yeah. may then be, say, a duel, in which case that turns into a normal combat thing. And yes, you can push your roles in that. No, in I mean, it's not easy to do battles because I mean, you must remember all the battles I ran with you, with you lot, with Pendragon. They're always how to represent a mass battle in your yeah. head. You've got a GM, mm. but then you've got the thing of trying to how do you put a battle with the actual feeling of a battle across to the players. It's not easy to do. Well, it's I was, not easy, I was and particularly, I mean, it works, what you've done in Pendragon works very well, but in Pendragon, we are commanders yeah, at but the very been, least of a no, unit but, of men. but when you first started, you weren't. No. No, when we were but, squires, we weren't. Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, of, of all the role-playing games I've played where we've had battles, either as a player or as a GM, the ones that have been best and have felt the best as a player and felt the most authentic as far as... Far as you know, I can judge never having been in a battle, mm -hmm. um, are the Pendragon ones. And, you know, the ones that you ran, Andy, in Pendragon were brilliant because they gave that, they gave the feel of that ebb and flow and that tide of the battle. Yeah. Um, and you could influence it. Yes, mm. in a lot of the games we played, we well, do well, get Well, we do you, get you quite all went senior. up the ranks. I mean, yeah. you were all dukes and you were the high king, so, of course, yeah. you influenced the whole thing. But, um, you know, but the battle itself still, fit, still felt yeah. like that. And I totally get, I think, you know, what you said in that piece, Matt, and from L5R, what you've said, Tony, it sounds as if I really like that. Mm. So mm. I, I did a lot of battles with the Song of Ice and Fire. Mm. Yes, I didn't yeah. like the battle rules in the book, and I made two or three different versions to try and emulate what you mm. did, Andy, with Pendragon in it's not easy. No, it's Song not of Ice easy. and Fire, whilst keeping some of the basic Song of Ice yeah. and Fire principles. But it, that game goes very much into a tactical... You know, mm. you, each unit has its action. Mm. Each unit mm. does this, that, and the other. And I was trying to get away from that. And I don't think, you know, I think we had some great battles. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as a GM, I don't think I ever mm. felt like I got it right. No, I mean, she actually, you're right. I think we had some great battles and we had fun doing them. But it didn't feel like some of the battles. So if you like, the battle I'm trying to emulate yeah, with this is the Battle of the Bastards in, yeah, in, 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 in Rome, you know, where, you know, yeah. Uh, some you know at one point your man John Snow is mm. you know the hero riding out the front and at the other point he's just trying to dig his way yeah, out of an enormous yeah, bunch yeah. of dead men. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's good to hear that you say that about. It, but but when I ran the battles, at the end of it, I was always disappointed in myself because I never thought I actually maybe I was aiming too high. I always wanted to get it across. I'd listen to music, or maybe I should have played some or medieval or dark age music to give more of a feel <laughs> to it. Well, well, I think, I think, I think the one thing I, think I was going to say really is what I think you did really well is emulate Dark Age battles. Because, you know, that is yeah. our flavour of Pendragon. The flavour of Pendragon that you were teaching us, or running for us, Andy, was not Knights nice. in Shining Armour. Yeah, shield walls. It was proper yeah. Dark Age stuff. So, yeah, you know, I've just been um, watching uh, the, 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 the thing... The thing with um, excellent Edward. Sure, yeah, I'm not sure there are any battles. Um, no, there weren't any battles. Uh, oh, the about Netflix a... series, what's it called? Vikings. 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 No, no, the, the one oh, in England. 
Last Kingdom. Last Kingdom. Oh, yes. Yeah. And every time they have a battle in Last Kingdom, I think of one of our Pendragon battles. I mean, I must admit, they—I mean, the first episode when they did the shield wall—that mm. was that must be mm. one of the best shield walls I've ever seen represented. Just pure fucking terror. What the yeah. fuck's going on? Pardon my language, but yeah, uh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, uh, we, we we were an adult pod- podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I'll I'll tick the um, I'll tick the box that says language. Don't really, yeah, tick, tick the box that language. says we've got Andy on, so it's a beast method and blinding. <laughs> Um, but no, so again, I've I've done some battle rules mm. for the Roman Year Zero game that I'm kind of thinking about, and again, I think I've I've probably come at it from the wrong end. I've come at it from the end of, you know, the overview of the whole army, mm. rather than taking that camera and zooming it in on the experience of that individual. And I think that's what you've done with this. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I like that very much. So this is, I mean, you know, I don't think this is... I don't like the not pushing thing, but I like the rest system. of it. Although now you've explained the kind of rationale behind it, actually it does make some kind of fence, yeah. fence, oh, sense. Mm-hmm. It is and it's kind of equivalent in the, in L5R, you basically do a roll for each round for the individual, mm. and there's a table which depends on where you are, how heavily engaged, how the battle's going. And on that table, you just take some wounds. Mm. Yeah. Because you're in the middle of a battle. You're going to get It also might basically. give you yeah. Yeah. some glory because you might have done something you know good in the battle it also gives you the opportunities for the heroic yeah. opportunities or the duels yeah. that come up which then become a separate combat so it's kind of doing the same thing as that so actually that, yeah. it does make sense that mm. whatever you whatever you're doing if you're in the battle someone could just stab you in the back beast behind you and yeah. stab you yeah. without yeah. even knowing I mean, they're there i mean the best scene in that shield mm. we were talking about the last kingdom was when utrid's best power dies he's fighting all of a sudden sword comes over and comes from nowhere for the shields yeah it hits him in the front yeah yeah. So that's sort so of thing. Yeah. But from a, from a player perspective, mm-hmm. though, I guess, and we, we did kind of say this a little bit before we were starting to record. Um, from a player perspective, you're in a battle. You have a good melee skill or whatever skill it is. You make some really good rolls, but you're unlucky enough to roll the odd one in right. those. And suddenly, you've done really well. You've you find yourself dead at the right. end of the battle okay, through so no fault of your own. There's an interesting through, thing through, around through here. what is basically. Let me just finish the point. What is basically totally and utterly random roll of the dice. And that so you, may happen in so you, L5R. So you could it? argue, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, so from a player experience point of view, you could argue that the player could say, well, I got to roll three dice, and if I get a one on a couple of them, I'm just dead. That's that's no fun. So I guess that's a that's that, that a was risk. That was, in my head, the concern about the L5R system is that you could just do a load of rolls, not get any heroic opportunities, take a load of wounds, and be dead without having done anything in the battle. So, which might reflect the reality of a real battle, but it's not, but it's not much fun, fun for a player in a game. So, yeah. depending on what happens when we when we do that, there might be some GM discretion to yeah. yeah let me let me explain that. one of the things though that uh, the weirdness is the battle roll mechanic is you if you're good with the sword or whatever, if you're good with a skill, those are the dice. These, in a way, your skill dice suddenly become your base dice because those are constant. You you know you use all your skill dice, even if you're at the back of the battle. As you get deeper into the battle, you use more of your base dice, your attribute dice. So actually, the chance of getting hurt is decreased when you're at the back of the battle, and increased when you're at the front of the battle. Okay, so sorry, just explain okay. that again. So well, you don't you're... get banes on your skill dice. No, but so when you're at the back of the battle, if you're in reserve. You roll fewer of your stat dice. dice. Yeah. 
And it's only the attribute dice that you draw the bonus from. Okay. Yeah. Because you get the minus one, two, three yeah. negative. That you and, then, about. and the key thing oh, is... So, okay, you get that on your base dice, not on your skill dice. Because yes. normally those negatives would come off your skill yeah. dice first, yeah. not your base dice. So that's the change you're making That's in the there. change, yes. Yeah. So they come it off, comes your, off your base dice, base dice not first. your skill. Okay. And okay. therefore protect you a bit from getting wounds. So if you're not a great character and you stay at the back... Then you know you, you, get, going, you still have a chance. You still of doing might have an arrow that hit you or get run over by. But you're a less horse likely to get hurt. Okay. Yeah, if that, you're at the front, then you're you're more likely to yeah. get hurt. Okay. But we'll give it a go. We'll see what yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It I, think, I think it's got a lot to, guys decide to do. Um, I think it's got a lot to say for it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've explained it, but having read it and and then uh, you know having just listened to it again, um, it makes more sense now. We've had the chance to quiz you over it. Cool. Well. As I say, yeah, this is written not as a set of rules yet. It's just... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's <coughs> Yeah, cool, good. We'll see how it goes. So we're going to talk about Toto. And a reason I'd like to talk about Toto is, A, Dave, you've been promising it for bloody weeks anyway. And B, we've got Tony here. <coughs> Tony, you're playing in Dave's game. Yes, I And am. Dave, you're running your Dave's game. game. <laughs> so I'd like to hear about how that game is going from both perspectives. Yeah, well, I, the interesting thing actually is Tony's been a playtester right from the start. So Tony was involved in the playtesting we did 18 months ago now. Mm. Yeah, that's so long ago. I have very little memory of it anyway. I don't even remember what your character was then. Uh, well, that in that start. first one. Um, I know, you were the young guy. Um, I was the young guy who'd inherited the, the saloon, the local saloon yeah. from my long lost uncle yeah. for some reason. And I had come in and was trying to take it over. New in town, young, fresh faced, and there was not everyone yeah. was entirely happy about that. Yeah, and then your your character in this one is a, a wilderness frontiersman. Yes, and these are randomly generated characters. Yes, using completely. Our, um, yep, completely um, creating your um, yeah. So this is kind of version zero point two, or is it zero point zero point three? I'm not I think sure. we're on zero point three. Is it three yeah. now? And um, so we've added in things um, around. Some of the town creation and town management rules, and um, kind of a few other bits that got amended uh, from the from the earlier version. Um, but we started back from scratch again. We, yeah, we went characters. through the life path. Everyone rolled up a new character. So is this post Civil War, or pre Civil War? In this is just uh, post Civil War. So we're only aiming for eighteen seventy. Only by about five five years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the that's the kind of original initial setting, and I've done quite a lot of work. I kind of randomly chose Nevada mm. um, for the, for for the location for the for the campaign, and I've done quite a lot of work on Nevada in eighteen seventy two <laughs> now, and it actually it's really quite interesting doing that. And I'm starting to build up the other states around it and think that you know there's a great opportunity for us here to um, you know start with one state. Start with one state or a couple of states, and mm. then do the southern states, and then you can do the northern states or territories or territory. Or yeah. yeah, many mm. of them were territories in in in, in that mm. in that time. Though Nevada was one of the earliest states, actually, after the Civil War, it became well, actually, before because it's eighteen sixty four, it became a state. Um, sorry, boring history no. podcast on Nevada. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and welcome to hardcore history. <laughs> um, but no, I th I, I think you want to win it here because I I have had bubbling away for some time thinking about this. You know the the idea that we are we are creating a fantasy. People, you know, as you became in the first version of the game uh, uh, 
an owner of a saloon that at that point doesn't exist. So we're building a town that never existed. Mm, but yeah. to center it in some real stuff. Yes. And also I remember some of the feedback we got from the version three rules was, oh, but, you know, give us some context. Was dynamite invented? Were, you know, yeah, cars and yeah very like much that. so. Yeah. And actually this sort of geographical context and historical context really helps. And I think it might be fun that, you know, if you like the, when we make this a thing, the f- the first version, the first book you buy is Tales of the Old West, Nevada. Mm. And then a bit later on, we'll do, you know, we'll add some longhorn cattle ranching stuff and we'll do Tales of the Old West, Texas. Mm. And that will include the whole thing with the Tejanos and, and you know, and, and, and dealing with a once Mexican country. Yes. Becoming, yeah. you know, so I think there could be a lot of scope there. Absolutely. I think there's, there's loads of sort of expansion possibility. But I guess the, the most important thing is to talk about the gameplay. And I think one of the recent... Um, so in this in this round of playtesting, I've been trying to run scenarios that you know, are fun, for one, and throw up sort of moral conundrums, but also test different yeah. bits of the rule system. So we had one that was focused around <laughs> gambling. We had one that ended up with... Um, a foot chase, we had a horse chase. Uh, the last one, we ended up totally actually um, unexpectedly redo, retesting the dueling rules. Mm. But actually, the dueling rules in a situation that wasn't a duel. And actually, this is a really nice okay, eye Okay, tell me, how did this situation This come is about? a really nice eye opener for me. And it, it just, the, the situation was, 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 um, uh, the, the scenario was they, they'd been, they, they'd taken a commission to get this guy who had been rightly convicted of a murder, but kind of was an innocent almost been drawn into this situation. And they'd been paid to try and get him out of town and get him on the train west so he could start his life again in, in Sacramento. And I had um, the 320 from Yuma as my... <laughs> 310 from Yuma. 310. I, yeah, I said 320 before, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it was late. What a late. Obviously, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a UK... Operator, so um, a net so, rail so of yeah. overrunning They've engineering work. The <laughs> so they can meet their objectives. Um, and the idea was that we'd have a, this scene at the rail terminus where they're being chased down by the guys who want to bounty hunters who want to get the guy they're trying mm. to escape and all that. So we had this moment where Connor's character was by the train, had just got this guy on the train. A bounty hunter had seen him was going across the the uh, the open space to him, and he was going across with his hand on his gun this bounty hunter, because he was expecting trouble. Mm-hmm. And and Connor saw it. And I, I I thought, this is a great opportunity just to see and how what's, this works. Just tell me, what's Connor's character in this? Connor is... Um, what's Connor? He's yeah. a blacksmith. He owns the gun shop. <laughs> he is. He is a gunsmith. He's yes, becoming a gunsmith. He's a gunsmith. He's trying to start up his um, big gunsmithing business in yeah. town. But he's got a background as a... Um, as an outlaw. Mm. So he does have some guns. As a cat, generally cowardly outlaw, known for <laughs> shooting people in the back. Yeah. His nickname, was, them, didn't his nickname is Merciless. So he's, <laughs> he's, uh, well, the nickname that he that he that people kind of whisper behind their behind their hands when he walks past, but he's uh, he's kind of embraced it, and his his, his, his business is going to be called Merciless Munitions. Oh, <laughs> nice! That's quite cool. So anyway, yeah, that's he was, a good brand. He'll do well. Yeah, this is a good brand. I think before but, he gets bought up by Remington, and he didn't die, so yeah, that's okay. fine. That's um, but. Basically, there was a moment there, and this guy was going towards Connor. Connor saw him, and it was just the two of them. And I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to test, to try and use these dueling rules. Because this is kind of almost a duel. Mm. And Connor looked at this guy, this guy looked at Connor, this guy had his hand on his gun, and as soon as Connor 
was going to put his hand on his gun, this suddenly the duel starts. And as soon as Connor said, okay, I'm putting my hand on my gun. Okay, right, we're in a duel. He's drawing. Yeah, this is now a duel. And we went through the duel process. And for me, anyway, I thought it worked beautifully. They both had one shot. They both got hit. Um, Connor was wounded, but not fatally. The other guy was wounded, but fatally. And that was it. The fight mm. was over in less than five seconds. Um, and for me, I felt it worked really well. And it's another opportunity to use those dueling rules rather than just a standard duel. Yeah. It just plays out that couple of seconds in a slightly different way. But I mean, Tone, how did it? How did yeah, it feel no, that's great. I think that I really like the combat. The combat is generally short and brutal, and you don't want to get into a gunfight if you can avoid it. Although we do seem to quite a lot <laughs> as characters. Um, but yeah, and I thought that worked really well and was quite tense. And did that feel different? So you you've been in a bunch of skirmishes. Yes. And did it feel different? Yeah, because it strikes me. You describing that scene, it strikes, uh, yeah, that is the sort of thing where it's not a pistols Full at 10 paces duel. type thing, but it is the kind sort of, of thing that Sergio yeah. Leone would be focusing on your, on your, your eyes and, mm. and it would be like a duel. And it's not even a standoff, though, because, say, this is just the moment. Yeah. Because this bounty hunter was coming, striding towards him with his hand on his gun, not, not intending to draw it, but just as a kind of a threat. Mm -hmm. And then when Connor went, put his hand on his gun, he saw that that was, okay, That's now, thing, yeah. now I've got a yeah. draw. And then it became the duel. But it all happened in the yeah. kind of a, in a moment. How long did it take to, so it took, you know, seconds of real time. Real time, or game time. How much, how much real time did it take? Oh, not long. Not long. A minute, no. maybe. Oh, cool, you see. Yeah. I want it speedy. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's basically, it's three it roles, is. yeah. isn't it? It's that, it's that first kind of psyching your other guy out role. Um, and then, how that kind of mental thing that that you know the role that reflects the moment you just get eye contact and that's what it's reflecting it's just that moment it's reflecting and then you draw how quickly and how fast you draw and then those two things together tell you who fires first and then you fire the gun and as i said in this one they were both down and out of the fight but connor was not fatally wounded but the bounty hunter was thanks to the critical hit but i thought that worked really well so i think we are, we're getting there. We're absolutely getting there. I think we need to put in a bit of focused effort and time to uh, yeah, move it forward, get it finished to a point where we can actually... Well, I've got my textbook on the Texas Rangers in my seriously bag think now, so about. that's my bedtime reading. Uh, have you nearly finished it? Can I take it away with me? No, I'm nowhere near finished it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, I'm reading um, The Anarchy by William Dalrymple, which is a history of the East India Company. Ah, yes. And I, I was thinking of using that as a... Um, uh, inspiration for Wayland Yutani. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, the story is really quite simple. You know, they come in and then they use their muscle, uh, mm. and then there's a famine and everyone dies. <laughs> uh, but it's all it's all really shit, actually. When you actually look into the history of it, yeah, colonialism the, the behavior, generally, you know, the behaviour was not not great. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> just got slightly off topic. Yeah, yeah completely <laughs> off topic. Um, so. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. So I think I've, there's a few things I want to, to 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 sort of write up. We did a bit of a manhunt in the last mm -hmm. couple of yeah. scenarios, where uh, the players were chasing or trying to find this guy who'd run off and joined a, a bandit, um, an outlaw gang, and we probably had a couple of scenarios doing that, didn't yes. we? Yes. But I thought I want to write up how a manhunt works. Mm. Um. But that worked. I think that worked pretty well. Yeah. We kind of. Well, it was quite 
felt quite tough. The trail was quite cold, but we you know found the little clues and always felt like we were making progress. So I think towards it. Yeah. So I think the basic idea, the basic rules of of using um, Hawkeye to try and track your your quarry is fine. <clears throat> the idea of a manhunt that will run over a day or two days or a week, or I don't you know, I'm not sure how long it was in game time. But this one, it was something like a it week. It was a few days, days. Wasn't it, at least. Um, I think there's a there's a there's a bit for the book to write how that plays out right. to explain. Well, this is good GM. because one of the things we we thought we'd initially we thought we'd port in the sort of hex crawling mechanics of Forbidden Lands, mm. and then very quickly we realised that wasn't going to work yeah. for this. So this is effectively a sort of not really a replacement for that, but it's a it, it's a it's a narrative that works in that if we're going out of, out of town into the wilderness, then... This is how you want to run it as a GM. Yeah, so yeah, it exactly. might have... There might be things that apply to more than manhunts. Or, might, or yeah. maybe not. Maybe there's a similar but distinct set of rules for, say, doing a cattle trail or whatever that uh, we don't need to necessarily do for this first edition. No, exactly. Because that will appear in uh, Tales of the Old West 2 Texas or... Yeah. Or as I said, like doing the Oregon Trail software yeah. that we talked about. Where you are, you know, you are, you know, um, Mason and Clark, Mason and Clark, getting it wrong, um, Lewis, Lewis and Clark, Lewis and Clark, yeah, who are who are breaking fresh ground on the on their way to, 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 the, to the west coast, Carson, Kit Carson, for example. Oh, well, like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I think there's 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 loads there, and we are really close. I I have been doing some thinking about the town stuff, and I'd be interested, Tone, on your view on how that feels. But I had another another idea about how we could manage it because I think I do wonder if it's a bit cumbersome and not actually that much fun the way well, we're doing it at the moment well I don't know I think we've I don't think there's a problem with that I think we've quite enjoyed doing the town stuff mm, okay cool. um, and it, yeah it's fairly it's fairly straightforward actually and for the individuals who have their own, their businesses the roles that kind of determine how well their business is doing mm. for that season it's all kind of quite I think important for those characters, and that mm. seems to flow quite naturally. It doesn't feel cumbersome or clunky. I think we need sure. to base it on my battle rules for Forbidden Land, so so they take damage if they roll. <laughs> no, I'm I'm joking. Not sure we're having mass <laughs> battle rules in the world. West, I want maybe? the town to feel like a tide rolling over. <laughs> so what? Were you, that's that's why, particular that's... changes that you were thinking of then around around that. Well, it was interesting. It was um, in. So in advance of our Coriolis game that we're going to play as soon as we finish doing this, <clears throat> where we were talking about Oasis, mm -hmm. and, and Matt, you come up with your ideas for, for, for Oasis on it. I was thinking about it this week and came up with some sort of, sort of quite different ideas. But actually, I then thought, they might work really well for the town. And it takes a lot of the mechanics out, basically. Mm -hmm. It makes it a lot more of a narrative thing. Yeah, I um, think I I think we can simplify towns still. Probably. I am so But it's yeah. whether it's whether the the kind of whether the players actually quite enjoy I mean cuz the the town building mechanic isn't onerous. It's it's mm, it's no. it's a lot it's a lot simpler than it was in the first iteration. Um and if the players actually enjoy that. A bit like in in Mutant Year Zero where you 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 pick your projects. And then mm. those projects will have a bonus or have an effect on the town. You know, the, the, the players pick the amenities that are going yeah. to be um, built or, or created for the next in the next season. And 
so I think that that might work quite well. I think some of the mechanics around how that actually works. Uh, I think the one thing we have found is that the town grows too quickly. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's growing way too quickly actually uh, in the playtest. So we can slow that down. I think there's a, a number of ways we could do that quite easily. But if the players quite enjoy yeah. this element of it, then it's it's not massively onerous. No, I think my character is probably one of the least involved because I don't, you know, I'm a wilderness character who spends most time wandering around outside the town so I don't really have any business or anything but I still quite enjoyed that and seeing what the other characters do with their businesses yeah. well that's interesting so that's what I was thinking is you know I, well, it might be great if you're one of the characters running a business and but what's the other guys are they tapping their uh, fingers on the table yeah. while, while you get over your town rules but if you're enjoying it that's good yeah so like I said I don't have a business so I'm not directly involved in that yeah but actually it's a good really good bunch of characters that which I'm quite invested in Yes, and we've so, we've taken a little bit of time to draw the characters together mm. and get the characters having some sort of bond. So I think one thing that we have possibly learned is offering the idea of, in the session zero, of choosing some kind of group concept. Mm. You know, are you all family? Are you all working in the same inn? Or are you all, you, you know each other from somewhere? Yeah, so that, that was in my first version of those yeah. rules is, you know, you start, your outfit is a group concept effectively. Yeah. And then we moved away from that. And people it might, it might not need to be as, as, as uh, kind of strong, if that's the wrong word, mm. as, as the group concepts you get in Coriolis. Well, I mean, but the it thing could that's be, it's a, me... it's a, con, it's a, it's a binding, uh, I don't know, common yeah. denominator between yeah. the characters. Because our group of characters are, are fairly loosely bound. I mean, they're really bound by the fact that they're, basically the crappiest characters on the shitty end of town who've been looked down on by the rest of town but actually yeah. want to move up. And, and I've played on that in the, the GM to try and push you together. Yeah. Like try and make you get that sense. Which is, but that seems that feels like enough because it's yeah. we've had the stuff that you've done. You obviously you've then designed scenarios to, like you say, to push us together and have stuff for us to do that will help people move up in that kind of social stratus. Yeah. And if you look in the corpus, of course, there are examples. Sorry, Forgive me. I've finished my PhD now. I don't need to talk in academic language. <laughs> if, if you look at the films, then yes, there are we know examples you finished your PhD, of, Dr. Jones. <laughs> um, in, you know, Billy the Kid, where you are all on or, the same ranch. Or regulators. And it's very much a ranch. Yeah. But there are loads of examples of a disparate group of townsfolk coming together to deal with a particular problem. The one yeah. that sticks in my mind most um, is Bone Tomahawk, uh, you know, where you've got a, an Indian killer... Uh, a sheriff, a deputy, and the doctor's husband are all bound together. And the deputy really wants to come. The sheriff was going to leave him uh, because he's a bit useless and a bit of an alcoholic anyway. But he, he kind of pleads with the sheriff to let him come. Um, it's great. Have you seen? No, um, I haven't. Oh, no. You must see Bone Tomahawk. What's the genre? It's fabulous. We'll talk about it after the show. It is. I, but it's wow. a great, great movie. Okay. And it's got the brilliant line. After the Indian hunter has uh, has killed a couple of Mexicans, the old, the, the old deputy says to the uh, doctor's husband, who just wakes up, and says, "What's going on? What's going on?" He says, "Ah, oh, the, the Indian hunter. I can't remember his name. He was just teaching teaching a couple of Mexicans the meaning of the word manifest destiny." Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's fabulous, and it's quite mm. modern. It's really good. Mm. I recommend it. Right, cool. is that the end of the show? I think that is the end of the show. 
And what are we talking about next time? We're not talking about anything next. We I've we will no talk about idea. something next time, but we're <laughs> slightly too inebriated to work out what it is. Yeah, we'll work out something in the meantime. Yeah, we've got three weeks. Yeah, but I mean, I'd just like to say thank you to Tony and Andy for thank joining you. us um, and putting up with well, you, us. Yes. I guess <laughs> we're, we're used oh, to it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So unless there's anything else from anybody, it's uh, goodbye for me, and it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You see, it's so much easier when we're in the same room. It is. I can just, you know, <laughs> you can see me with my eyes. We, we, we both, yes, you we can both kind of pause and like, uh, okay, I'll go. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Cool. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.